Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings this Lord's Day in the precious name of Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say amen? Amen. amen. Um, God has been good to us. You know, the, what, what is that word you used, Andy? Autumnal? Autumnal. The autumnal weather is approaching. I think you have to say that in, a, in, a, in some sort of a aristocratic voice, you know. But, uh, but it's getting cooler, praise God. I don't know if some of you are as sensitive to uh, the weather as I might be. I love it when it gets cooler. I love it when it's cold. Uh, I know there are not a lot of people who share that. But I, but I love it. So I'm looking forward to cooler weather coming. And uh, what a beautiful, beautiful morning uh, that the Lord has given us to come into his presence and worship him. Um, God does an intricate amount of things in our lives. You know, I think when we're young or when we are uh, some of us who maybe even came to the Lord as new converts, we, we come before the Lord and our main concern is that we just are saved. You know, that's like, you know, okay, we don't want to be lost. We want to be saved, you know, and in your mind or in the minds of sometimes of new believers, that's the very first thing. Okay, I'm going to heaven. But, you know, God doesn't stop there. God wants to save us. God wants to, as we talked about, we've talked about in, uh, in many different times, but God, he washes us, he cleanses us so that who we were is washed so far away from who we are now, we don't even hardly even remember it. And going over the history of our church, I think some of you are remembering uh, through some of the videos and some of the, the pictures that we saw that you've changed a lot, you know, and you know that you've changed a lot in your hairstyles or in your lack of hair or uh, in your, you know, maybe some of you have packed on a little bit more weight or maybe some of you have filled out, filled out a little bit more, you know, whatever. But, but over a 20-year period of time, you change a lot. Well, it's not just something that happens uh, to us physically, and if you were a part of the Bible study Wednesday night, uh, we, we did a, uh, a whole hour on the subject of generational sanctification. And I am noticing it because of the history I am reading about in Burma. Uh, I was telling the church how discouraging it is kind of to go to Myanmar. Like, I don't really tell you everything because part of it's discouraging. You know, you go to a village that you think is going to be the utopia of Christianity because it's remote and they turned away from demon worship. And you find, Paul, there's, there's four churches in the little village because of church splits, you know. And you're like, you know. So you don't really want to talk about it. But the truth is, is, is that when we come to Christ, we come to Christ and he changes us but we still have a lot of baggage from the life that we lived. Or, understand it or not, the, the lives that the, our parents lived. And the lives that our grandparents lived. And the life that our country lived. There is a generational and a national segregation that goes on. And God is saving the world. Amen. Amen. And he's washing it. And I don't know how he's doing what he's doing. It's amazing. But I do believe when the Bible says that in heaven that there will be this period of silence, I guarantee you that during that time, the wheels that will turn in our minds of like, oh, 
This is what God has been doing for all of this time. In Psalm 26, David cries out to the Lord in our call to worship. Lead us to this, and it will be really the subject of this whole day. David cries out to God and he says, and this is in the ESV because it's a little more clear. He says, vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me and test my heart and my mind. How many of you want God to sanctify you body and soul and mind? I do. How many of you want God to cleanse you from the destructive habits of generations of Brownfields or uh, Grundys or Robinettes or Hatfields or Bonneviers? I do. And God is doing that. This is the amazing work that he is doing. Prove me, O Lord. Try me. Test my heart and mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes. And I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all of your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men. In whose hands are evil devices, and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly. I will bless the Lord. Let us pray and remember that that's what we've come here. God is not just saving us from the ultimate judgment of the lake of fire, but that he is saving the world and saving us body and soul and mind. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your mercy and your love that is uh, beyond our imagination. Your ways and thoughts are above ours so much so that uh, they are past finding out. We can explore and try to figure them out, but they are past even finding out. Lord, today as we gather into your presence, Lord, with unclean hands, wash us, Lord, forgive us of our sins. Lord, draw us nearer to you. Make us fit and, and, and make our children and our grandchildren and our descendants more fit for heaven even in this day. Oh, Lord, wash us thoroughly and we will be clean. Purge us with hyssop, Lord. Lord, we ask to, today, Lord, that you would speak to us, that your voice would echo into our lives and that a new creation would continue to spring up. Speak to us today and change us. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Save me. Vindicate me, O God. Deliver me. From my enemies. This is the heart cry of David from Psalm 54 and really a whole lot of other Psalms in the Psalter. He's oftentimes asking God for this same thing. How often has this been the cry of your heart? Do you even know what it is to find yourself in this kind of of soul-wrenching need. David, a man after God's own heart, often came to God with this repeated request. And we hear these words today. We understand that David, he was frequently overwhelmed. Difficult circumstances surrounded him, and it brought him often to a time of prayer. Do you know this is what God does to his people, especially those who lead He brings them to these places. Why? Because he wanted him to write songs about it. (laughs) You know, oftentimes the prophets would live through horrible things. Why? So they could understand. So that they could write things down. So that they could inspire the people. And they would do it with the depths of their heart. It's kind of hard to try to help people if you've never needed help yourself. I've needed a lot of help. 
And I really believe that a lot of the help I've needed in my life has been for you. And that's all right. It was worth every bit of it. And I'll tell you what, I've cried and suffered and spent a lot of life in pain. But to know that it will benefit someone else makes it really not so bad. I mean, that that may sound weird, but I'm just, it's just true. David was like this. The Bible says that what happened to David happened to him for you and for me. Sometimes we say within ourselves as we read these words, you know, wow, you know, David's really having a hard time. I mean, Saul's chasing him everywhere. Uh, Philistines are trying to kill him. Uh, His personal life is collapsing around him. But, you know, David had a difficult life. He was kind of a a bad guy. That's, That's what we say. You know, wow, he was really having a rough time. What we should really be doing is wondering, why did God put this in his word? You see, men of war have difficult lives. I was talking to someone on the phone and I'm like, you know, uh, I'm having like the greatest time and like the worst time in my life in, in many ways. And, 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 and he says, you know, isn't that the way it is? God does this in us. So yeah, we'll talk about the particular time in David's life when he found himself, again, facing a seemingly impossible moment in his life here in Psalm 54. But for now, I want to ask ourselves, I want us all to ask ourselves this question again. How often has this been the cry of your heart? Save me, vindicate me, deliver me from my enemies. How often do you even cry out to God in desperation? I don't really think it's probably very often. How often do you get on your knees before the Lord and go, Oh God, please save me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I realize how bad off I am, Lord. I need you to save me, oh God. You know, growing up in the church that I did, we did it a lot. We did it a lot because our leaders led us to a place to do that and reminded us of our sin. And, and, you know, we can say that they manipulated us. Well, they helped drag us to the place where we realized we needed God and we would run up to the altar and we would go, Oh, God, save us! And I don't want to traumatize the people of this church by doing this to you every week, but I can tell you right now, I'm thankful for every moment I spent on my knees crying out to God to save me. Because whether you know it or not, you need it. Do you live your life mostly plodding along, avoiding evil the best you can, existing in the comfortable world that you have around you? Are you moved to prayer mostly when you've lost something that you already had? Or you want something you haven't had? Or you're worrying about an issue that may or actually not even ever be an issue in your life? Oh, God, this thing's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. Oh, God. That's actually the way we live most of our lives like this. David was literally getting chased around for his life with a guy who had a spear driven down by his head because he wanted to have it close at hand. So he'd kill David if he happened to see him. Who had 3,000 of his choicest men chasing David around one side of a mountain and the other side of a mountain wanting to pin him to the wall with the spear. Folks, we don't have any idea what that's like. At least you don't think you do. But the truth is, you're living a life like David. We just don't even know it. I believe we don't think much about the great need that we have for God to save us, to vindicate us and deliver us from our enemies because we don't even know that we have them. We really want to forget them. You know, the Bible warns us we should not be ignorant about the devil's devices. Paul, Jesus told Peter, you know, the devil wants to get you. He wants to sift you like wheat. He told us not to be ignorant of the devil's devices. For though we are not sword-bearing warriors living among a multitude of warring nations fighting us for every square inch of real estate in ancient Israel, we are certainly engaged in a warfare nonetheless. Nonetheless dramatic either. 
You see, David's enemies can be killed with a sling. You know the enemies we fought can't even be killed? You might be tough, but you're not going to be killing a demon anytime soon. I can tell you that right now. There is no rock you can put in a sling. No sword sharp enough to kill one of the spirits of darkness that is waging war against you and against this church. You're not going to do that. Only God can. As sure as the angel of the Lord encamps about us, legions of dark spirits array themselves against our every maneuver. The Lord of hosts, mighty in battle, is still trotting his enemies underfoot and subduing the nations under his banner, and we are his army. You might go, well, I just kind of feel like I'm a cabinet maker. I kind of feel like I'm, you know, working with banking or I'm, I'm, I'm working on a nursing facility. Folks, that's not what you're doing. You might think that's what you're doing. That is not what you're doing. The Bible tells us very specifically we are engaged in the warfare over the real estate, not of the Middle East, but over every square inch of real estate in this world because it is Christ's. It has been given to his children, which is us, and it is up to us to take them back. Whether or not you know it, you need God to save you, to vindicate you, and deliver you from your enemies because they're after you. They're after your marriage. They're after your children. They're after this church. They're after the government that we've established under God. And they want anything. They want anything but for you to claim it as your own. To understand that these laws that have been given in this nation that's been established is yours. And that it is Jesus Christ has put his flag here and that it belongs to him. And the spirits of darkness have no control over you. Why do you think we're living in peace? Without God, we are captured in an inescapable city. We are condemned for unpardonable crimes. And we are conquered and hated by those who want to crush us. I can tell you right now, they hated him. And they hate you. They want to kill you. They want to destroy you. They want to take your life. They want to, they want to take away your peace. They don't like it that you can go to a park and pick flowers and sit with your children. They don't like it that you can peacefully, you know, uh, make, you know, make a, a pie. Why? Because it's not funny to them. They're fighting for their lives. They're going to lose and we know it. But they're fighting nonetheless. So the story behind Psalm 54 works like this. The inspired heading tells us the song was written as David was relentlessly chased by the demonically inspired Saul. David's hiding place was betrayed by a people called the Ziphites because they were from a place called Ziph. Right? Ohioans are from a place called Ohio and the Ziphites are from a place called Ziph. And they did this more than once. Now, so... You know, commentators point you to 1 Samuel 24, but Pastor Mark is never satisfied with the commentators. And so I just keep reading and I'm like, these dirty Ziphites. And so now God's blessed us with technology and concordances and topical. And I found that these dirty dog Ziphites don't just do it in 1 Samuel 24, which everybody gives you a reference for. They do it again in 1 Samuel chapter 26, which you heard read, right? Here they were again. In the first instance, the drama surrounding Doeg the Edomite, which we talked about two weeks ago, had only just passed. It seems there was hardly time for David and his 600 mighty men to catch their breath as they ran for their lives. But now David had a priest with him, and his name was Abathar. I think, you know, there's a name. You're looking for a name? Of, of a child one day that no one's ever heard of, Abathar. And Abathar is a dude. He's a priest, if you recall, he's the only surviving one that escaped the slaughter at Nob, where Doeg the Edomite kills all the priests. Remember, he kills the, every priest, and the only one left of Ahimelech's sons to live was Abathar. And they killed everyone in town. They killed the women, the children, the dogs, the cats, the, the puppies, and the, everything in the whole town because of Saul's revenge upon uh, Ahimelech for helping out David when he was going through. But Abathar lived. 
Even the unthinkable violence and the tumult, though, did not keep Abathar from the presence of mind to grab the ephod as he fled grief-stricken. I mean, could you imagine everyone you know killed and slaughtered, and you're like, you know, I need to go by the church, and I need to get the ephod. Now, you might not even know what an ephod is, and I thought, I'll throw this in. I I can't recall the last time I talked about it. And I've been thinking about this, and I I won't go into this forever, but an ephod was something that the children of Israel, the, the Levites, wore. It was, a, it was a square of 12 stones. Every stone was a different stone, and they represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And they wore this. And when they did, there was apparently some sort of a pocket in it, and they had these things called the Urim and the Thummim. And no one really even knows what they were. They were maybe some kind of a rock or something, but they were different, different enough to know uh, that, that, they were, that they weren't the same thing. And so they use this to talk to God. And those people that do not believe in divine providence in the control of God's sovereignty over things should read about the ephod. Because you know what God would do, Steve? The children of Israel wanted to know something and they needed a yes or no. Like, all right, do we do this or we don't do this? And they needed sort of like, God, could we get like an audible here? You know? And like, nope. So they would reach in the ephod. And kind of like that game we played, Tim, you know, with all the stones in there, whatever that game is, that crystal game. And they would reach in, but there would only be two things in there. And they don't know what they're grabbing. Apparently, the Urim and the Thummim felt alike enough, but they, they didn't see it. And they pulled it out and they'd throw it. And if it was the Urim or the Thummim, and they don't even know, one of them meant yes, and one of them meant no. One of them meant good and one of them meant evil. They would bring a guy who was two people and they're like, you ever, you're trying to settle a dispute. One of them is lying and the other one's telling the truth and you don't know. And they'd go, all right, bring the ephod. And they would bring him before and they would reach in there and they would pull out and they'd say, is this guy good or bad? And they'd pull it out and they'd throw it on the ground and they'd go, "Uh oh, he's the dirty dog. (laughs) And you might go, well, that's really arbitrary. Well, it would be arbitrary if you didn't believe that God actually spoke to people and he used the ephod which he did many of the times in the bible say and they inquired of the lord well you think how do they do that with the ephod they get the ephod out and go should i do this yes or no oh okay yeah we're going to do that i just thought i'd throw this out you may not know how the ephod works but it does now i won't get into this too much either but some people derek say that it was much more elaborate than this, that each of the, uh, these stones represented one of the letters of the alphabet and they would move over the stones and get entire words from God. Now, I actually tend to go with this. The reason is, is because when they inquire of the Lord, they don't just get yes and no. Sometimes they get do this. And then when you hear the shaking of the mulberry trees, do that. Like you, they get very specific things. So I think there was some sort of spelling that happened with this. I don't know how it worked and God's word doesn't tell us. So it remains a mystery. But if I ever find an ephod, I think we'll keep it. What do you think? I, I don't know that we'll try to use it. We, we won't, we actually won't try to use it, but, but we would keep it. It would be very, very, very interesting. So anyway, in 1 Samuel 23, it tells us the Philistines were attacking. They were stealing harvested crops. The people of the city of Kelia, uh, uh, and David heard about this. He used the ephod to find out, should I go and help save these people or should I not? And so he, oh, yeah, let's go. And so they go. Go smite the Philistines, it says, 1 Samuel 23, and save them. David's men said, you know, we're afraid to go. Could you, could you get the ephod out again? And could you see if maybe the second time we check it, it says the same thing? Only they got a different answer from, the, from it, but it was actually a little bit more. So David, as uh, they inquired of the Lord a second time, they got the same answer, but then they were told they would win. Uh, not only will you go, but you can go and you will win. And they're like, okay, well, we'll go. All right. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah in 1 Samuel 23, 5. But Saul heard about it and... Uh, they kind of had put themselves in a trap. Um, the, 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 this town had walls, and so David was inside, and they were celebrating that they were saved. And, and Saul's like, oh, I got him now. He's inside a walled city. He's not hiding off some cave where I can't find him. He's in a city. We'll besiege it, and we're going to get it. So 
David hears that Saul's coming in. He goes to Abathar and he goes, now, when Saul's men come, are the men of this town going to give us over to Saul? And so they get the ephod out and they inquire of God. And God says, oh, yeah, <laughs> they are not going to defend you. They're going to turn you over to Saul. So he's like, we better we better get out of Dodge. OK, so it seemed even David was going to save uh, Kelia from the Philistines. They were not grateful or brave enough to save him. So he and his band of brothers took off for the wilderness in the caves of Ziph. Everybody say Ziph. Saul was relentless as he pursued David. It says every day. Could you imagine this? Every day. 1 Samuel 23. Saul's son Jonathan, though, comes out in a wood near the city of Ziph. And somehow he knew David was there. And he encouraged him that God would one day make him king. And those two made a covenant together like, I will serve by your side and I will support you. I believe you're righteous in this. But the Ziphites, what did they do? They betrayed him and they revealed his hiding place here in verse 19. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah saying, does not David himself hide himself in the strongholds in the wood in the hill of Hakalah, which is in the south of Jeshimon? Now, therefore, O king, come down according to all thy desire of thy soul. Come on down and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. So they're kind of like Doeg. Doeg found a way to advance himself. To put himself forward, the Ziphites are like, hey, you know, we can get on in the action. We can get a reward here from the king. So for this betrayal, Saul blessed the Ziphites as he had Doeg the Edomite. Again and again, the Ziphites spied out David's position day after day. As he ran in the wilderness of Maon, David had run constantly from one side of the mountain to the other as he was running like a thirsty hunted deer. That's where he would get words like, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs after. We, we sing of this in some placid way, like, as the deer panteth for. No, he's like, as the deer pants for the water, oh God, save me. Like, could you imagine this running for your life and you think you're going to die at every moment and you're dying of thirst? That's, that's really what as the deer panteth for the water is talking about. There's nothing genteel about it. 1 Samuel 24. After contending with the Philistines, Saul returned with, uh, or, I'm sorry, right as he's about to catch David, the Philistines attack Israel, and Saul has to go take off and, and come back another day. So after Saul contends with the Philistines, Saul returns later on with an army of 3,000 Trojan warriors. And it says he goes to the steep desert cliffs of Engedi in a desolate place. They call it a place where only sheep and goat can even get to these caves and rocks, you know, endless places. Once again, innumerable. We've been there, my sons and I, caves everywhere. No one on planet Earth could look in all those caves. It would be impossible. So you, if, if you're here, you're like 3,000 men, they're chasing him. He, he couldn't get away. All you have to do is go there. You'll find out. Yeah, he could. You can't even get to them, and there's just giant mountains, and there's just holes, 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 holes. And David's found him, and he got in. And apparently, there were you know there were 600 guys with him, so they got into several of them. So during this time of chasing him around, Saul has to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and the Bible has polite ways of saying these kinds of things, but that's really what it is. And so Saul did not just want to go to the bathroom in front of everybody. So he goes into a cave to go to the bathroom. And it just so happens to be the cave where David is, is at. You know, guys, do you know God is in control of everything? Of all the caves he could have gone in to go to the bathroom, what are the chances, Joy, that he just so accidentally went into the cave where David was? No chance, okay? And so he goes in there, and apparently he takes off his robe, and I don't know exactly how all that works with them. And, and, and so David goes, and he gets his robe, and he cuts off a piece of the hem. And we don't have time to get into this, but he cuts off the hem of his garment. And it is very significant that it is the hem of his garment. Um, when we went to Israel, we learned that the hem or the edges, fringes of the garments were woven in a very special way. 
and they were woven in such a way that it might be like, what if it's, you know, like M-A-R, 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 you know? And so you could literally, if you were somewhere and you didn't have your money with you, Paul, you could go and you could push it into clay, M-A-R, 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 and it was like writing a check. I'll be back with the money. You got a, you got a deal for me. Well, this, this, it represented who you were and your, if you were a king or an important person, very powerful representative. So when he cuts this piece off, he's, he's literally taking some of his authority sort of with him. You know, if you stole a piece of fringe of King Saul's outfit, you could go and represent him in different places. But when David did this, the Bible says that David's heart smote him. Now, you might miss this if you're reading the story, but do you know David had a very sensitive conscience at this time in his life? And he knew that God had forbid him from hurting Saul. And so he didn't even, he realized that hurting Saul's garment was not even right. You know, when God deals with us, we don't get all, like if God says not to do something, we don't get all the way right up next to it. If God's word says not to do something, we should stay away from it. And David felt a pricking of his conscience in this moment. What this is telling us really, though, about this is that David's heart was right. I mean, you'd think a guy's trying to kill you. you it'd be, it wouldn't be a bad thing. Cut a little piece of his garment off, right? But David, and so David runs out and he says, Saul, he, he bows down on the ground. He says, Saul, Saul, Saul. But he... See this? Look at your garment. I cut a piece of it off. I could have killed you. I'm not trying to hurt you. Please quit chasing me. Please believe I'm right in my heart. I didn't do anything to hurt you. I don't want to hurt you. You see, the the thrust of where we're going is that there are times when we do things that other people believe are wrong or they say we do because there's something that, that, that they believe our heart is thinking about it. So David was not trying to kill Saul. He was not trying to kill him so he could be king. He was not doing this, but Saul was believing that he was. How many times have people believed that you were doing something for a reason that really never even entered your mind? In fact, all you had in your heart was good. And that's, that's what's going on here. Soon as Saul was safely away from the cave, David called after him, bowed himself to the ground to honor him as he did. He pleaded with Saul to believe him that he did not seek to dethrone him as a king. He was devoted to him. He calls out, he says, my father. Could you imagine? He's not his dad. I mean, he's related. Or he, well, he should have been related because he promised him his daughter, but he never him the daughter. He was going to be his father-in-law. See the skirt of the robe in thy hand, Father? I could have killed you and del- because the Lord, everybody say the Lord. He said, the Lord delivered me into your hand. Now, folks, what brought Saul into that cave? It was the Lord. What was the Lord doing? And this is where we're going to go. God was providing the means to vindicate David. He was going to show where David's heart was right. So he gave him the chance, Steve, to be in that place to where he could show, hey, I could kill him, but I don't, I don't want to kill him. I've done nothing to you, and yet you seek my life. He says in 1 Samuel 24, 12, The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but my hand shall not be upon thee. David said that he was a nobody. He said he was nothing like but a dead dog and nothing but a flea on a dead dog. Folks, that's humility. What David was saying, the Lord therefore judge between me and thee. Plead my cause. Deliver me out of your hand, O Saul. God will save me. He will vindicate me. And he will deliver me. This is what, see, David is learning this through this experience. Here I was, here I'm running for my life and I can't see any way to convince him. And then God puts this opportunity right in front of me. What do you do with the opportunities God puts before you? Saul wept at the hearing of these words, and he calls out these words. He says, you are more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded you evil. 
Saul then said that he knew that David would one day be king, and he asked David to promise that he would not one day kill his family if he became king. And of course, David, being good-hearted, quickly agreed. God had saved David again, vindicated him as righteous, and delivered him from the hands of Saul. This is what God does. But time went on, and the prophet Samuel, who had anointed both Saul and David, he died. And Saul's evil heart, the one that had done what? Do you remember what he did to the hem of Samuel's garment? God was rejecting him as king, and Saul runs up to Samuel, and he grabs him by the fringe of his garment, and he tears him. And he says, just as you have torn my robe, so God is tearing the kingdom from you, O Saul. Can you see this connection here? There is a connection in the story to this piece. You see, David did it trying to show his love, and Saul did it trying to preserve his own life and save his own place in the kingdom. God tore the kingdom from his hand. He forgot the goodness and the kindness of God. And that God had showed him kindness in the cutting of his own garment and David not killing him, but he forgot all about it. Saul then had given his daughter whom he had promised to the man who killed Goliath. He gave, and this is wonderful how God does, and we don't have time to get in it. God gives him a wise named Abigail. And who treated trash and disrespected him. God killed that man. His name was Nabal. We won't, I can't tell that story. But all this happened. So by the time we get to 1 Samuel 26, Saul and the Ziphites are now in league looking for David to take his life. But God had not left David and he would continue to save him, to vindicate him, and to deliver him because that's what God does to his people. 1 Samuel 26.1 says, And the Ziphites came to Saul. I mean, it wasn't enough that they did it last time. And, and it, do you think this might have put something in, in his mind, Andy? Like, hey, the Ziphites came to me. I went after David and God delivered David from me. So now, a few chapters later, probably even a few years later, here the Ziphites come again. Hey, Saul, we know where he is. You think it would have reminded him, aren't these the same people that betrayed him last time? And didn't God preserve me? And didn't David call out to me from the cave? But no, even that reminder from God would not awaken the callous heart of Saul. The Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah saying, Doth not David hide himself at Hakalah, which is before Jeshimon? Then Saul arose, and he went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 men. David's spies found out where Saul was and kept them one step ahead of the king. One night they brought David to where Saul had been bedded down for the night. And again, everybody say again. Again, God did what? He delivered Saul into his hand. Do you know the Bible says a deep sleep came upon them and they fell asleep? And you heard it read just a little bit ago. God caused the deep sleep to fall on them like he did the soldiers outside of the tomb where Jesus lay and they're laying there. And could you imagine you're standing over this guy and you can kill him and all your men are like, let's pin him to the ground. Let's kill him. Let's do away with this guy. And David's like, I said I wouldn't do it. God doesn't want me to do it. And not only am I not going to do it, I'm not going to let you do it. Anybody touches him, got to deal with me. Everybody say, David was righteous. And you know what God was doing? God was vindicating him by giving him the chance to kill David again. David said, furthermore, this is in uh, 26.10 of 1 Samuel. As the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him on this day. On his day, when it's his day to do it, that'll be the day that it happens. When he shall die, that'll be up to God. Or he shall go in some battle and he shall perish. But it isn't going to happen by my hand. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. And I pray thee, take thou now the spear that is at his bolster and the cruise of water. So David took the spear in the cruise of water. There's even more to this story. Do you know David even feels bad about keeping Saul's spear? And you know that's probably the one, Andy, that he was throwing at him early on when he was a kid trying to stick him to the wall. And what does he do? You'll hear what he does. I don't know if I read it again here in a minute. But Saul, David's even like, you know what? Could someone please, uh, like, hey, hey, Saul, remember? You, you guys heard it, right? 
So David took the spear, the cruise of water from Saul's things. He got away at a distance. He called out to Saul as he had done before. Hey, Saul, I could have killed you again, but I didn't. Please believe me. And in fact, hey, could you send someone over here to get your spear? I'm not even wanting to take your spear. Oh, good king. Once again, David compares himself to a flea and not a dead dog this time, but, uh, uh, you know, a dirty chicken. (laughs) Not really, but a a partridge, you know, a bird, you know. He promises that he will never touch the king. Never heard of even Saul sees this and he confesses his sin. And this is the moment of David's vindication right here. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return my son. And now see, you got him calling him a son. Return my son, David, for I will no more harm thee because my soul was precious in your eyes. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. You know, this is an amazing moment. And I grabbed my Bible earlier because I wanted to make sure what I was telling you is true. I, I went and looked real quick. Do you know Saul never raised a hand against her again after this day? God vindicated him even in the heart of Saul. He he vindicated him in our eyes. We can see David had the chance to kill him. He didn't. But you know, God even vindicated him in the eyes of the enemy that had tried to kill him. And Saul realizes what a sinner he is. You know, God does this kind of stuff. David is humble. He's righteous in his actions. He's sensitive in his conscience and his approach to the sins even that he was accused of. God saved him, vindicated him that he was righteous in all of these things and saved him from the hand of Saul and the Ziphites who joined with him. And it was a result of this that he wrote Psalm 54. Save me, O God, by thy name and judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God, and give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers are risen up against me and oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He shall reward evil unto my enemies and cut them off by thy truth. I will freely sacrifice unto thee and I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. For he hath delivered me out of my troubles and mine eye has seen his desire upon my enemies. Can now you hear what David is singing and praying about? This is yet another one of the Proverbs Psalms of David, it says. And the particular lesson, the one that being sung here in a Naganoth or to a stringed instruments, was the lesson that God can see inside the hearts of men and he knows what our hearts when they are right before him and he will save us. He will ultimately vindicate us. And he will deliver us as he did David. It says, save me, O God, by thy name. Judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. The first two words come out of David like the blast of a trumpet. Save me. They should be the cry of our heart. If this song were to be sung, I could literally hear it as a save me, O God. Because it should be what we cry every day, realizing that we need saved, that we need vindicated and delivered. Save me by thy name. In times of trouble when we have done no wrong and our motives have been misjudged, may we resist the temptation to be angry, to be hurt, or be in despair. May we not lash out at others or feel sorry for ourselves. May we instead turn our hearts and our voices to him who understands and cry as David did. Save me, O God, by thy name. I have no strength to save myself. No words of my own that can justify what only God knows in my heart. In your name is salvation alone, O God. And we must trust in him and not in our efforts. Your efforts that you do on your own are weak, but he is strong. Judge me by thy strength, it says. The word judge here is better rendered vindicate as often is told in many of the translations. The vindicate means to be proven right, as I've explained. And in how many personal disputes and public wranglings and outright fights is the core issue not, I didn't do it for that reason. People will say, you did this because you don't like me. You did this because you're jealous of me. You did this because of whatever. And you're going, no, no, no. 
How many times has this happened in your house? Now you know the truth. And in fact, you've never even had a little feeling. You know, I remember, I honestly have a hard, had a hard time getting over this. My parents one day, and I won't get into this too much, but they sat me down and they're like, you know, we know that you're jealous of your brother. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I love my brother. Jealous. And, and I'm like thinking, uh, for what? I like me and I'm good and I think God's blessed me. What do you mean? I remember I could never get over this. My, the pride of my life, Luke, was just kicked so hard. Kind of like, you know, you know, I know you're not, since you're not as good looking as your brother. And I didn't realize that, you know. I'm like, oh, okay, you know. And, and your brother, he's a real talented musician. And I'm like, oh, 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 well, yeah, I guess I'm not, you know. Uh, but I, like, I sing, well, you know, you don't sing like your brother. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, but what I'm saying is, is it never occurred to me to be jealous of my brother. I was glad that my brother was a talented, good-looking guy. That was okay. It never bothered me. But do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Anyone ever do this to you? They're like, yeah, we know. We know what's going on with you, Jonathan. You know, you, you want to, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, you're like, and Jonathan's going, what are you talking about? I'm just like raising my kids and living my life. I'm so thankful to be here. That, uh, we know in your heart. And you're like, no, it's not. You know, and we're tempted in those moments to get confused and to get upset and get mad, but not to know that God will vindicate us. He will save us. It's infuriating. I know it's happened to me. David wasn't trying to kill Saul. He had committed to God not even to touch him. And he would not allow any of his men to do the same. And yet again and again, Saul would not believe it. Time and again, men like Doeg the Edomite... And in this case, now the people of Ziph were false witnesses against him. It's very hard not to get overcome with anger when you are falsely accused and believe that God is not watching, that he somehow doesn't care and he's unable to help you. Oh, save us, vindicate us and deliver us, oh God. Strangers are risen up against me, oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them. Those that do not know God and certainly do not know your hearts are at war with us. They are inspired by the devil and his minions and they are his children. Ephesians tells us that we are not at war though with that flesh and blood. That the real enemies of our soul are spiritual enemies. Know that like the demons that cried out for Jesus not to torment them. Our very existence is a testimony that their judgment awaits and they cannot stand it. And they want to destroy you. If they could, I can tell you right now, they already would. But they can't unless God allows it. They will attack us. They will malign our names. They will ruin us if they can. But God will save us. He will vindicate us. And he will deliver us if we call on his name. Know it not. No it or not, we need him. People of God, let this be our prayer today. Let it be the true cry of our hearts as we see our condition in God's holiness. Verse 4, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. Indeed, God is our helper as he was David's and he was with him. He will be with us, the Bible says, even to the end of the world. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. He will uphold us with the might of his hand. He is our strong tower, our fortress, that we run into. He is our bulwark and shield and buckler and a devouring fire before us like the angel that went before the children of Israel. Angels, the Bible says, they go before us preparing the way and they encamp about us. Amen? We can sleep because He gives us sleep. In the midst of our storm-tossed nights, He is an anchor. He is a rock to put our feet upon. Verse 5 tells us, He shall reward evil to our enemies and cut them off in his truth. The day of their judgment is coming for them like a thief in the night. They will be caught on a blink of an eye. Those with the, uh, will be confronted by one whose countenance is like the sun who has lightning flashing out and a sword coming out of his mouth, devouring all of our enemies before us. He will thunder over them with the horse of his wrath and judgment with the blood flowing like rivers beneath him, 
Lift up your head, O ye gates, and be lift up, ye everlasting doors, because the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? He is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of battle. He is the King of glory. Verse 6, I will freely sacrifice unto thee, and I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. Turn from your efforts to justify yourselves. It is wasted effort. Turn from your anger against those in your despair that no one sees your heart. And remember that God does as he wills, and he will save us. He will vindicate us, and he will deliver us. Call out to him, for he alone can offer this to us. And he will do so for the sake of his own. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture, his children. His honor is at stake and he will not leave us in shame and ignominy. He will lift us up. The final verse, verse 7, for he hath delivered me out of the trouble and mine eyes shall see the desire upon my enemies. David had seen God do this again and again and he knew this is what God would always do for him. He said it best, I believe, in Psalm 27. He said, For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacles sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, seek my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me, and put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in the plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not under the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, upon the Lord. David's heart, he knew what was in his heart. He said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Amen? Save us, O Lord, vindicate us and deliver us. Amen? Amen. That, and I... I'll tell you this, it is such a joy to me to bring to you the message of God's word. Do you know that what I just taught you today is exactly what Psalm 54 is teaching us. And it has a lesson better than any lesson I could ever imagine. And that's what it says. So let's trust God and let it be our prayer today that God would save us, that he would vindicate us, and that he would deliver us. Let's pray. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.